Hey, coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, I welcome back a very good friend of the couch, Rachel Nielsen, host of the popular podcast, Three and 30 Takeaways for Moms. Today, Rachel and I discuss the challenges of finding a good therapist and how important it is to ensure that there is a fit there between you and your therapist. Rachel, as she does so incredibly well, gets open and vulnerable, and she shares what initially led her to therapy, what a bit of a negative initial experience with the therapist looked like, and how important it was for her to keep looking until she found somebody who ultimately helped her through some truly trying times. She's also discusses transitioning from one therapist to another, as well as the challenges of finding a therapist for her seven-year-old son when he was struggling. So that and so much more is coming up on this episode of The Virtual Couch. Hey, so today's episode deals with finding the right fit in therapy. And my guest, Rachel Nielsen, who is host of the popular podcast, 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, is going to talk about some of the challenges that she had in finding the right therapist. Now, as a therapist myself, I, of course, recommend that everybody give therapy a try. I mean, truly, we're all hanging on to some things that would maybe be helpful to process or there are things in our life that we maybe thought we would achieve by now or things that we desperately want to achieve so that we won't live a life full of regrets. Or there are people listening right now who might be noticing that their anxiety or their depression is getting a tiny bit more. If it's like me, you can go listen to a couple episodes I did on this. I started recognizing that I, I had ADHD and I needed to deal with it. Um, but, but let's just say that some of these things get a tiny bit amplified, maybe the longer they're left untreated. Well, I think you owe it to yourself or to those around you, your spouse, your kids. And I mean, honestly, if I'm being uh, honest, which I just said twice, you owe it to yourself, to you, to very, at the very least, give therapy a try. So if you're nervous about finding the right fit with a therapist, or if you're worried about bumping into somebody in the waiting room, which I totally understand, if you have any worries about therapy, might I recommend that you go immediately to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Again, that's betterhelp.com forward slash virtual couch, all one word. And take a look at the world of online therapy. I mean, there are 500,000 people and growing who have already who have already done this, of going through to betterhelp.com. They have a broad range of expertise in their counselor network, which might not be available locally in many areas. Uh, the service is available for clients worldwide. If you're even out of the country, you can find uh, find a therapist uh, online. You can log into your account anytime. You can send a message to your counselor, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in these uncomfortable waiting rooms as with traditional therapy. And the BetterHelp.com assessment is what is pretty impressive. They'll assess your needs and match you to, with your own licensed professional therapist. And if you're looking for a particular modality, I love acceptance and commitment therapy. I love emotionally focused therapy. You will find therapists who excel or they have areas of expertise in those areas if you're struggling with OCD, um, anxiety, depression. I mean, you name it. They have therapists there. You can start communicating with a therapist sometimes in, in as little as under 24 hours. And uh, BetterHelp.com is also, um, it, it just has these great therapeutic matches. And they also, uh, it makes it easy to change counselors. And they do have... Um, <laughs> What's the word where they give you a discount? Um, financial aid. They also have financial aid if you need it. So if you do, go to BetterHelp. Uh, just again, go to BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch and you'll receive 10% off your first month services. So what are you waiting for? You owe it to yourself at the very least to just check it out. So go ahead, pause the podcast, do it right now. I'm not going anywhere and uh, give it a shot. BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch. Um, you owe it to yourself uh, to, to, to process some of these things, um, uh, but give it a shot. And uh, now let's get to the podcast.
tuning in to episode 166 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultramarathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anybody that you know is struggling to put pornography or any type of compulsive sexual behavior behind you once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a strength-based hold the shame, become the person you always knew you could be way, then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com and there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to get rid of pornography once and for all. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And please visit Virtual Couch on Instagram. That's at Virtual Couch. Doing a little bit of uh, weekly question and answers, typically around midweek, some Instagram TV later in the week. So I encourage you to follow along there. And you can also find a uh, Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Facebook page, a Virtual Couch Facebook page. Go like them both. Why not? And if you have a minute and you've enjoyed any of the Virtual Couch podcast content material, please do me a favor and rate and review, subscribe, share, all of those wonderful things wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, just one more real quick, uh, head over to TonyOverbay.com and uh, sign up on the for the newsletter there. I'm sharing a whole lot more information on a couple of really, really exciting programs that are coming up soon, everything from parenting and marriage and uh, some uh, surviving uh, faith journey, those sort of things. And also a lot more coming up on the release of a book that I co-authored with a gentleman named Josh Shea. And it is getting a lot of wonderful pre-release press buzz going. And the book is called He's a Porn Addict, Now What? An Expert and a Former Addict Answer Your Questions. And I'm playing the role of the expert and former virtual couch guest Joshua Shea, who is author. He's already authored a best-selling book called The Addiction That Nobody Will Talk About. He is answering the questions as the addict. I didn't even see the questions. We had a lot of questions, and I answered him again from the standpoint of the expert. And I didn't even know what his answers were. And it's just it's enlightening. I mean, it really is to see kind of where the addict is coming from. So it's just a, it's a fascinating book. It's coming out here in a few weeks, and so you can find out more by signing up on the website. But let's get to the reason you're here today, and that is today's guest. Friend of the couch, former guest, Rachel Nielsen. If you're not familiar with Rachel, she is the host of the popular podcast, 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms. And you can find her at her website, 3, um, it's the number 3, in the number 30 podcast.com. 3 and 30 podcast.com. And of course, I'll have uh, links to the show in the show notes, uh, her podcast in the show notes. So Rachel previously appeared on my podcast. It was episode number 54. And on that episode, she spoke about her experiences and how her two absolutely amazing children, if you follow Rachel on Instagram, she does a lot with the Instagram stories, and it's just hard to not watch. I mean, her Instagram stories are wonderful, and a lot of times she has these two amazing children on there. But um, episode 54 is where she talked about how her children came to be a part of her family because Rachel went through both in vitro fertilization and open adoption at the same time, which I will be completely honest, even going into... I had done a couple of episodes of Rachel's podcast. I, I did it with uh, on parenting and on marriage, and it was some of the, the most fun I've had on a podcast where we really tackled some some really good topics. But uh, then having her on my show was just incredible. I didn't really know as much about her story, and I definitely didn't understand the complexities of in vitro fertilization and open adoption, and Rachel did them both at the same time. So, and that was because she had always felt this lifetime calling the, to be a mom. And Rachel's story of her experience of both methods of trying to bring uh, a child into her and her husband's lives is touching. Uh, it's it's beautiful. It's basically, it's nothing short of a miracle. 
And it, I think it will help anyone that might be contemplating either in vitro fertilization or adoption, uh, open adoption, any type of adoption, or those who have had people in their lives that have struggled with these things as well. And then she also just shares an incredibly powerful and touching and beautiful story in that episode of Katie, who is the birth mother that she had connected with, who ultimately gave Rachel and her husband a son. And so, uh, again, I will have, uh, I'll have links to all of this in the show notes of today's episode. But on today's episode, Rachel and I discuss how to find a therapist and what to look for, what to do if you feel like you don't have a good fit with your therapist. And Rachel, as she does incredibly well, gets extremely open and vulnerable. And she talks about some of the things that initially brought her into counseling, as well how these goals of counseling can change over the years. And I love when she kind of tackles that. She she admits that she has worked with a couple of different therapists over the years, and she talks about why. And it's really, really um, interesting. And as a therapist, I really loved her take on why it can be powerful to change your therapist as well. And then she talks about um, finding a good therapist for her seven-year-old son when he was struggling and what that's been like for her son as well as Rachel. And she had some great takeaways, as she does so well, on what to look for with a child therapist as well as what some of the hesitations can be for a parent in sending your child to a therapist. And uh, Rachel and I did coordinate the release of this episode kind of along with the release of her episode that's going out today, which happens to be Monday, November 11th, 2019, where she talks with her sister, about surviving depression as a mom. And in that episode, Rachel talks about the importance of finding a good counselor. So you can see where these episodes definitely are complimentary. So please go check out Rachel's amazing podcast. Again, I've been a guest on there a couple of times talking about parenting as well as marriage. And I absolutely love talking with Rachel. All right, so let's get to my episode. Uh, this is my episode. Let's get to my interview with Rachel Nielsen, host of 3 and 30, uh, the 3 and 30 podcast. tendency to go a tiny bit long, Rachel. And you've been, you were very good. I remember on one of the episodes that I was on your show where I don't even remember how you said it, but you were very kind and letting me know <laughs> we like to kind of keep it with a three in front of the, you know, 30 something, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't go into 40, but we can stay, we can go to 39 if we need to. And I, think so, we may have, I think we may have in one of Yeah, my- we pushed it. We always push it in our conversations. Exactly. So, t- so we both have a deadline tonight. So this is kind of exciting. Yes, perfect. It's perfect. It holds us accountable. Right. So one of my all-time favorite guests to have on the virtual couch is back. Rachel Nielsen, thanks for coming back on. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And you're one of my all-time favorite guests on 3 and 30. Well, Feeling very, is mutual. Very kind. And uh, I, I want to say this on my podcast too, which I think is a lot of fun. We recorded the two episodes I've done on your podcast back-to-back. And yes. I, and I think you told the story, I believe, in the second one we did, or maybe when you re-aired it. But yes. It was so fun because we took what about a one minute break and then you got back on and said, "Man, it, it feels like it uh, was just yesterday." Or it, you know. <laughs> no, you said that. I yeah. said, "Welcome back." It was so great. It's great to have you back on my show. And you said, "It feels like just yesterday we did this." And then I busted up laughing and we had to start over. <laughs> that was like one of my favorite things of all time. So that was fun. <laughs> so, uh, but thanks for coming on. I really am grateful for the topic that you would like to cover today because this is something I really haven't talked about. I did an episode a long time ago on why it's not the greatest idea to lie to your therapist, but I've never done an episode on how to pick a therapist. So um, let's dive right in. And so, and, and you have so many things that I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, why was this one that's important to you? Well, 
I get asked this question all the time by women um, who listen to my show because I talk very openly about the way that counseling and therapy has blessed my life. Mm-hmm. And so they know that I'm like a safe person to ask, you know? So how do you even find a good therapist? And it's a great question because it's like, do you just randomly start Googling? Do you just call the first one that comes up? And so it's something I've thought about covering on my show. I haven't yet. And then I just thought, how cool would it be to have this conversation with a therapist and get your thoughts as well yeah. on how to find a great match. And, and I love that because I mean, there's even a lot going on for the therapist as well in trying to match up or meet the needs of the client. And uh, there's a lot of data. And I thought maybe I could just start out with this and I want to go, go right back to you. But as therapists, I went and looked this up because we always hide behind this research that nobody can ever go find. Uh, but I did find it. And it was done by a task force by the American Psychological Association Society of Clinical Psychology, which says that they found that the therapy relationship makes substantial and consistent contributions to psychotherapy, uh, the psychotherapy outcome independent of the specific type of treatment, which basically saying that the relationship between the client and the therapist is equally, if not more important than even the modality that the therapist uses. And I think that's significant. Yeah, I think it is too. But I totally believe it. That's really interesting. I've been... So over the course of the last eight years, I've seen three different therapists and they all had completely different personalities and they all um, did different modalities of therapy. And I've loved that I've had the different experiences and the different takes with these, you know, they've all added value to my life in totally different ways. Yeah. And, but I've had a good relationship with all three and it was a match, you know, even though they had different personalities. So how I feel very you, passionately about how did you find? How did you find them then? So it is interesting, three different therapists with different modalities and you, you did have a match. Have, and maybe we start with, have you ever had uh, a situation where you haven't necessarily felt a match with a therapist? You know, the first time I ever tried it, um, this was prior to having children and I just recognized that I wasn't dealing with stress very well. A lot of negative thoughts. I was probably struggling with some real depression though. I didn't label it that way. Mm. And so it was really scary for me to admit that I wanted to go to counseling. I just called my insurance and did the one that they recommended and it wasn't a fit, um, yeah. personality wise. And so I just kind of wrote off therapy. Like, I'm like, oh, see, it didn't work. So I saw her a few times. We just never really matched. She was kind of, she was very guarded with what she would share with me about herself. And that was hard for me. Like, she wanted me to pour my guts out and share all about my personal life. But she wouldn't even answer when I'd say, like, how was your weekend? She'd say, well, this isn't about me. And I just couldn't, I couldn't, like, share when I didn't feel like I was getting anything back. Well, and that's, a, that's a great way to even, um, as a therapist, I know there are some the person-centered therapy, client-centered therapy. I mean, there are some modalities where you, you, it's kind of uh, empowering to be able to share some of those things with your client. And then oh. there's others where they say, you know, why, why is it important that you know about my weekend? And I feel like that could be super annoying if it was somebody who wanted to feel that connection. Yeah. And, and it's very much my personality that I want to know people. And I, I love to share my heart, but I totally value hearing their heart. I learn just as much from hearing their experiences. And obviously as a therapist, you wouldn't want to take over. Right. Like the, but when my therapists have shared stuff from their life that has applied or I'm, it, I feel much more deeply known and I feel more trust for them 
because they've shared a little bit. And, and so I have found that in my therapist sense, um, in varying degrees, but that first one was just, uh, she was just pretty cold and no, we're not going there. And so I thought, Oh, that's how all therapists are. This isn't for me. This wasn't that helpful. And I just kind of struggled for the next probably five years. Um, thinking like knowing I probably could use some help, but thinking like therapy's not it. Right. That was my one. Yeah. Yes. This one person wasn't a great fit. So that's like my first tip for anybody listening is if somebody's, if you try a therapist and it's not a great fit, do not give up. Try some different therapists until you find a great fit. And now I'm, uh, I was already excited to have you on, but now I'm even more excited about this, especially with you, with your experience from that side of the couch, right? And mine in my chair, because I, I've had those, ex- I'm, I'm like you, I, I'm not going to make it about me, but if somebody asks me a question, I mean, I do feel like that's rapport building or there's some empathy that you can share there, but I have had clients before where I've almost wanted to share something and, and, and it's been rare, but where they've said, I don't really want to know anything about you. And, and, you know, it's Okay. No problem. So, I mean, that is interesting to know that there are some who would probably have uh, found that woman a, a great fit. Yes. And I, my therapist now, who I love, um, she will always say to me, is it okay if I share something? Yeah. You know, and of course, but she does always ask and she wants to know what I want before she shares, which I think is great. It is. And, and, uh, and I do know that a lot of times when one of the questions in my intake paperwork is, have you been to therapy before? And if so, what was that experience like? And I know from a therapist standpoint, I want to know if they couldn't stand um, the empty chair technique. And that's my go-to, you know, where we're going to, which is not, by the way. But then I know that that's probably not what I'm going to lead with, you know. And so I I enjoy that part of the paperwork. But I will find often that one of the things that does turn people off, um, your experience, like you're sharing there. But also I've had people say all they did was talk about themselves. And Mm. so, you know, and and so that is interesting. You see both sides of the, the coin there. Yeah. And from a therapist's perspective, like if it's not, if the client isn't feeling it, like, do do you appreciate them just saying that? Or how, how would they say that in a respectful way so that they could move on? This is, again, this is great. This is what gets so difficult because I know as part of my, my kind of opening thoughts, I do like to share that, Hey, the, you know, I need to be, I, I need you to feel like you can open up and the more and the faster, or the more you can open up, the more I can help you. But and then I'll acknowledge, I know that that can be difficult, but if you don't feel like there's a fit here, then that's where I say, Hey, I just want you to get help. And so I, I will not be offended. That's part of the job. And if anything, you know, it shows a lot of strength. So that's one of the things I like to say. Yeah. And, and uh, even if, and if someone out there is listening and their therapist has not said that to them, right. t- listen to Tony, like it shows a lot of strength. If you can just acknowledge and say, Hey, this isn't a great fit but thank you so much for your time and the tools that you've given me. Well, it really you know does. It? And because I'm thinking right now about one client that I just have absolutely loved working with. And this is a person who had, you know, had some just for the sake of kind of generic, you know, men issues. And so she said, I really, I really do want to try a male therapist because I feel like that might be part of the the challenge that I'm having. And so I, I really appreciated that, but we've always kind of been at, at first when we met, there was this, Hey, if this isn't, if this is too much because of some of the things she was processing, then man, I just want her to get help. And so mm-hmm. I'm grateful that I was the one that she said, let's try this. But, uh, but if it didn't work, then I totally understand. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 So, so what, so after about five years, then you finally said, okay, I gotta, I gotta try this again. Yeah. I got to a really desperate place, which 
it, it was an eating disorder, um, <clears throat> which was what I had the five years previous, I was recognizing that I was using food to either under eating or binge eating to deal with my stress and emotions. And that's why I originally had gone. Mm. But then over five years and becoming a mother and all of the added change and stress, I just, it got to a point that I could no longer deny that I needed, I needed help. Um, and so I feel like I, it was like more out in desperation that I tried again. And, um, so what I did this time was I had a friend who had told me about intuitive eating. Well, I had a friend who opened up to me that she had had an eating disorder. Um, I think she kind of sensed that there was something going on for me. And so she just said, Hey, you know, when I was in college, I had an eating disorder. She, we didn't talk about the fact that I was struggling with it. She just started talking. And then she said, and I learned about this intuitive eating and she told me all about it. So then that night I Googled intuitive eating counselor, Denver. Okay. That's where I was living at the time. So I had like a phrase to come from. So it wasn't like I was just like Googling therapists in Denver, which would be a lot. Yes. Um, so I think that that's a strategy. If there's something in, that you are specifically struggling with, or a type of therapy that you've heard of that you might want to try to Google your area and then the type of therapist. And then I, there was about probably seven that came up and I just looked at each of their websites and just tried to get a feel. And um, I could tell right away this one woman might be a good fit. And she had the option for like a 15 minute phone call to just get to know her. Yeah. And, um, so we did that and I could just tell it was a good match. And so I gave it a go and it was life changing. So I went and I did one-on-one with her and then I did a small group. Um, it was DBT that they did there, which was great. Um, so I did a small group once a week and I did one-on-one with her once a week for about nine months. And then I was good. Like I was just doing so much better um, and we were moving. So I, but I was in a place that even if we weren't moving, I think I would have been okay to stop. Like, cause other people have asked me before, how do you know when it's going to stop? Like, right. is it never yeah. ending? Like, cause that's an expense if it's never yeah. ending and are you roped into it? And, um, I, I just told people, this has been my experience with all three of the counselors. Like it, there comes a point where you kind of run out of stuff to talk about. Like, sure. You just every week you're kind of like actually I'm I'm pretty good and yeah. you don't have as much to talk about anymore and that's a good sign that you're ready to to stop and go out and try it and live and so I did that and I was good for probably about a year and then we had moved and I found that I was seeing Ask you real quick real, yes, uh, before yeah. we move past the one in Denver what was it that was different about her that you liked what what felt right um, I think she. Well, she was warmer and more open with me for sure. I also think that I was ready. (laughs) And I think that's a huge component. Like I was, I was just ready to do the work and it was almost like I was going to overlook anything that maybe wasn't perfect Mm -hmm. with her personality or whatever, because I desperately wanted the help. I was no longer like, I guess I should, you know. And so my mindset was a lot better and I went in hungry for help and just like took all the notes and did all the homework and showed up and did the work. And it, I mean, completely changed my life. 
I, I like the, what you're saying. Oh, go ahead. Finish just that. like when I look back and think about who I was before I started with her and to who I am now, I'm a very different person in all good ways. So wow. I, I really say therapy has changed me. It has. I love that. As a therapist, of course, I love that. And as a friend, I'm grateful for that. Um, I, I really appreciate you saying too, that you felt like you were ready to do the work. And, and I feel like as a therapist, I'm aware that there are times that people come in and feeling like wanting to do the work can feel overwhelming. So, mm-hmm. you know, if someone is feeling, if they feel right now when they're hearing this, that they feel like, well, I don't know, I just want to go in and, and try it, or I want to be heard, or that's perfectly okay. But I will tell you that, man, as a therapist, when somebody is saying, all right, I'm, I'm ready, that is, uh, it really accelerates the process. I will, and I love using humor in therapy, I can't lie. And so a lot of times when somebody is saying that, or they've done a little bit of reading, or they've done a little bit of uh, background work, or, you know, I love to say, hey, you just saved us two sessions right there. You know, I mean, that's because uh, oh. they really have. Yes. Or like several months of sessions, you know, just if you want it to be an accelerated experience where you're worried about the investment or the time, like come in ready and then do it. Whatever your therapist asks you to work on that week, do it. Take notes during your sessions, read over them, talk to your friends or spouse about what you're learning and how you're changing and you will see rapid change if you go into therapy that way. And that's one reason why I really believe that the investment in therapy is good because when you are paying for high quality help, you take it seriously and you do yeah. the work. And that's been my experience. I, I, okay. Let, uh, let me be the super vulnerable therapist here for a little bit. I mean, I love, I, again, I'm really excited that we're talking about this now, the more we get into this. Um, one of the things that I feel like I have overcorrected on is that where you say, is there an end to therapy? And, and I feel like I'm, I'm almost hyper aware of that. And I don't want someone to feel, because I feel like that therapy does have a bit of a bad name for some where they feel like their therapist is just going to keep them coming forever and ever because it's this guaranteed, you know, weekly or, or bi-monthly paycheck. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, I remember the first time I found a booking software program for therapists online where, you know, I, I, I realized I was saying, Hey, I'll create your account and you set up the appointments with whatever works for you. Cause I wanted to, I wanted people to feel so much like I'm not trying to push you for therapy, but it's interesting because what I found out is that then, but people get busy or they can mm-hmm. be a little bit overwhelmed at times. And then all of a sudden they don't have a regular, uh, schedule set up. And so then oftentimes I was doing more just catch up or more maintenance and we weren't yeah. necessarily doing a lot of growth. So you know, that's been a challenge to try and say, all right, I would, I would love to see you every week for a little while. Then we'll move to every other week and maybe we move to monthly or that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think it's totally appropriate too, as the professional to say, cause I've had a counselor say to me, she gave, she like, we talked, we did my intake. We talked mm-hmm. about everything I was going on. And then she said, okay, I think that we should meet weekly for this long and yeah. then we'll see. And she said, she was just straightforward about her time. She's like, I have a very full like caseload right now. And I need you to commit like this work. It's not just going to be a one and done. Like if you want to do this work, I need you to commit to three months. And it, but it didn't feel salesy at all. It was like, it was like a treatment plan. And I really liked her. This is my current therapist that I've actually seen for the last three years. That's how much I like her. (laughs) But now we just see each other once. I just see her once a month for kind of maintenance. Yeah. When she initially started with me, she kind of said up front, this is what you need. And if you're ready to commit to that, then I can take you on as a client. So I wouldn't, if, if a therapist is saying it that way, I wouldn't see it as a red flag. Right. Um, 
you know, trust your gut. And it's not like she had me pay up front. Yeah. If, if at any point I had wanted to cancel because we weren't a good fit, it's, she couldn't have held me to that, but she Absolutely. was just asking up front for, for me to take it seriously, basically, and to give it the time that it deserved. And I'm so glad I did. Right. And no, that's perfect. And, uh, and, and I, I also wanted to touch on when you talked about doing the work it, and this is, I'm going to sound judgy for clients, but it is fascinating to me when I'm, I, I do a lot of couples work and I'm a big emotionally focused therapy, EFT. We've covered that on your show even. And when there's a book or two that really lay it out and I, you know, and I, again, I like, I'm, I'm, I'm so worried about sounding judgy. Listen to this. I can't even do it on a <laughs> podcast at times. Right. But I feel like that's the thing where people will often say uh, they won't read the book. I mean, there's a book called Hold Me Tight by Sue Johnson, the founder of EFT that lays this stuff out so beautifully. And I have people saying, you know, yeah, we didn't get to it, but we've been fighting like cats and dogs. You know, another week goes down and we haven't listened to any of the EFT podcasts, but man, it's been a rough week. And that's the part where sometimes it's difficult to just say, okay, well, what, what are you doing? You know? Yes. And why are you paying me? Right. You know, it's like, yeah. I want to help you, but if you're just showing up here once a week, like that's, you have to do the work. If you want to get a return on your investment, I can help coach you through this exactly. if you're doing the work. Right. So, but again, the, the, the part of me though knows that everybody based on their own, what we call private experiences is that some people do need to just be able to make the appointment and to come in. Like I can understand that as well. Mm-hmm. And so, but in a perfect world, if they want to accelerate the process, yes, uh, be ready to do the work. Yes. And do whatever it takes, like get the support that you need to do the work. If you recognize that you're in a really hard place emotionally and you need the help, then be open with the people in your life and say, Hey, I, it's hard. I remember now it's so easy for me to say, like I go to a counselor, I see a therapist. It's nothing to me because, but initially it was so hard to admit. I felt ashamed, you know, and But to say to a friend of mine, that same friend, actually, who had approached me, I told her, I told her a little bit about my experience and then, or I I came clean about what I was dealing with and said, I found a counselor and I need someone to watch Noah once a week for me Mm -hmm. to go. And Noah was one. And she's like, I can totally do that for you. But because that could have been a reason for me to not go is I wasn't, it wasn't easy to go by any means. Like my husband was a resident. We were really tight financially. I didn't have his help or support with Noah because he was working crazy hours. And I had to ask someone to do that for me because I recognized how much I needed it. Yeah. I love that. I mean, uh, going into this modality, I love acceptance and commitment therapy. If that goal is to get help, which you needed, then those, you know, uh, even the financial piece or the, the child care or these become these, they, basically these stories my brain is trying to fuse to to kind of go path of least resistance because that's scary or it's hard or it's difficult to make those appointments or to put out the finances or to make that commitment. And our brain really does want path of least resistance, even though it doesn't like maybe where it's at. It, this is what it knows. And so I yes. feel like, you know, I think it's important to recognize that we can come up with reasons. It's a nice way of saying excuses and acceptance and commitment therapy, but we can come up with reasons, a lot of reasons that, that therapy can be a challenge or difficult or um, that, it, that it can just be really hard to commit to. But we're not even debating if those stories, those reasons are true or false, you know, are they productive thoughts toward the goal of getting help? And so yes. I love laying that out there. Yeah. So what, what else? I mean, so when you talk about um, that part where, you know, running out of things to talk about. So now 
I mean, do you feel like you knew or you, you would know when that would happen? And, I, and I'm curious what the, what the client experience is like. I know what that's like as a therapist. I really do. And at times, you know, I'm the one saying, I think that we're probably good. And every now and again, you'll have somebody that will say, uh, you know, well, no, because you realize, wow, they're, this is, this is something for them, you know, that they, yeah, they they're, don't they're kind of dependent on it. Yeah. 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 Um, for me, I started to kind of dread the appointments because I felt the awkwardness okay. of the silences and stuff. And I just realized, but I, it felt hard. I felt almost worried that like it would hurt her to say, exactly. I think we're right. done. Yeah. But in all the experiences, the two experiences that I've had where I said, okay, I'm ready. They're, they're just thrilled for you, you yeah. know? And they just, they're just, they were, they wanted to help you heal and they were a piece of that. And they're thrilled for you to, to go out and try it. And like, in my case, I was good for about a year. And then I started to recognize some of those same patterns creeping back in, which is so common and not shameful. It's like, of course, when your life circumstances change, some of your old habits are going to come creeping back in. And the strongest, best thing you can do is reach out for help again. And I was in a new place. So I reached out to a new therapist. But honestly, even if I was still living in Denver, I probably would have tried someone new. I just was ready for a new perspective on the problem. I felt like I'd gotten what I could get, which was a ton from my first counselor. And I was ready kind of for a new take. Mm. Um, And I found her, my second counselor, um, on a recommendation from a friend. So I'd gotten a little bit braver by that time about talking openly about mental health stuff. And so I just asked um, a couple of my girlfriends from church if anybody saw a counselor, if they knew anybody good and just kind of admitted I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. And one of my friends had a recommendation of someone that she saw and I went to her as well. And um, her personality was really different. She was really uh, like a red personality, say it how it is. Okay. And I think that if I had gone to her first, it would have totally scarred me. <laughs> like, I, I wouldn't have been ready, but I was ready the second time to kind of hear her tell me some hard truths that I needed to hear. Yeah. Um, and it was great. So what was that like, though? What were, do you remember some of the things that, that, that were difficult about that? Therapy? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it, in the fir- very first appointment I had with her, a lot of times therapists have you kind of tell your story. Right. And where you're at and where the issues came from. And, and that's a hard... It's You kind of hate to do it each time you start with someone new and you go through it all. And I was telling her about um, how I grew up with a mom who had breast cancer, who was diagnosed when I was six and she passed away when I was 19. And I was telling her about that. And she said, oh, I see what's going on. You have a savior complex. Whoa. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> like, it was just so abrupt and like I was one was a session one session one okay and I was expecting her to be more empathetic and sure compassionate and more like my first counselor who was kind of like an earth mama hippie the first lady and I was like excuse me like what does that even mean she said you wanted to be the savior like you grew up with this uh, a mom who was ill and you wanted to take care of her and save her. And so you did. You wanted to do everything right. And that's, you know, where your perfectionism comes from. And and I at first was like, oh my gosh, I don't like you. Like, right. I, don't, I don't like to hear that about myself. So I don't like you and you're wrong. And 
I was defensive about for my mom too, because I'm like, my mom never played the victim card, which is true. And she's like, no, no, I'm not saying she played that card. I'm saying those are the roles life casts you in. Like when you have terminal cancer, you are a victim and the people around you want to save you. Like that's just the way it goes, you know? Yeah. So I went home not knowing what to think, but because I was ready and willing and thought about it, I thought, I have a savior complex. Like her honesty, I couldn't, I could immediately see that it was true. As much as I didn't want to see that it was true, yeah. it was true. And so I went back just willing and like, okay, hey, let's talk about this. Let's learn. I want to know. And it's been so helpful for me to have that insight into myself in the years since because I, I, it comes up sometimes, this savior complex, and I'm, I can spot it right away because she pointed it out to me. And I know now kind of how to temper it yeah. and what to do with it. Because as Jennifer Finlayson Fife says, you can't, you can't fix what you can't see. And it took her pointing out to me what I couldn't see. And it's been so helpful. Well, I love that concept of, you know, as a therapist, and I try to avoid cliches as often as I can. But one of them that I go back to often is that, that, yeah, you don't know what you don't know. And so a lot of times that's what you're, you really are paying for is to hopefully find someone that, that does have some experience in the chair and they maybe have dealt with some of those kind of situations. Yeah. And, so, and I think that can be uh, liberating, but I like that you had to go through that first therapist experience to even, I don't know, to be able to, to have that second experience and to kind of oh, be yeah. ready. Right. Yes, absolutely. I would have, I was so like emotionally vulnerable going into the first experience that that probably would have just destroyed right. me. I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even heard it. I would have just said, I'm not coming back to you, you know, but I was stronger and more ready the second time. And again, it was a good match. It was a good time for me. And I worked with her for about nine months as well and learned so much from her. And then again, kind of stopped having stuff to talk about and yeah. I was good. And so we stopped. You know, I love the, and I, I really enjoy this kind of back and forth, right? The client therapist thing that we're doing even, and I, and I know as a therapist, there are times where I will feel like um, I made a pretty good point, you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I realized, wow, I didn't really get much of a reaction there. That was a pretty good one. And, and realizing that there are times where somebody's not necessarily in a position to hear or, um, and I'm not saying that I always have all the right answers, but, uh, right. but I like that, you know, what, what you said there was you needed to be in a position to hear that. Um, yes. And, and I also, I, before we get too far away from this as well, it's perfectly okay to break up with your therapist after you have met your treatment goals. As a matter of fact, that's this therapist we love to be broken up on. Um, yes. Right? Yeah. That's the whole point, right? Right, you right. Exactly. To yeah. eventually be broken up on. Exactly. Which is kind of an interesting relationship. That's our goal. Yeah. <laughs> when, when we have met our goals, you will break up with me and it will be a, a joyous occasion. Yes. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, hey, tell me about the, do you want to kind of move into the, um, what it's been like to find help for your son? And, and yeah, how so, yeah, so I've had such a positive experience with therapy that when my son started struggling, he, he's always had really, really big emotions. Um, it's his personality, but he's also, he's adopted. And the more that I learn about adoption, the more I realize that, that he was adopted at birth. I was in the delivery room, but um, that is a loss. Like he lost his birth mother, you know, that was a separation and a loss that I think affects him and has plays into his big, big emotions. 
And then he actually lost his birth mother. She passed away um, when he was six. And so I feel like around that time, and, and he's so little that it's hard to know what all he, what, what he takes in, how it's affecting him emotionally, all of that. But he just, his big emotions got taken to kind of a new level around that same time. And I just thought, okay, let's just, I've seen how helpful counseling is. Let's just get him into a counselor. Um, again, didn't really know where to start with that. And so I asked. It can be hard too, because, oh, sorry. I just, I know as a, you know, when I was doing my practicum in grad school, I did do, um, I worked at a child abuse prevention council, a nonprofit clinic, but I, you know, I didn't even realize at that time. I mean, I knew I wanted to work with men. And so I felt bad that kids weren't necessarily my, my, my specialty and I had kids. And so I, I mean, so I appreciate that you, you really do have to look for something completely different. Don't you? Yes. And you want somebody that works with children. Yeah, you want it to be passion. different. Yeah. Yes. And has training in yes. working with children. Absolutely. And um, so I asked the pediatrician, we live in a really small town and she didn't really have a lot of ideas for me, which is just discouraging, but that's something else that I always advise people is ask your doctor or ask your child's doctor if they have any suggestions, ask your um, church leaders, if they know of anybody, like any, a teacher, uh, you know, people who are in the field where they might have heard of or worked with families that have had counselors, just ask around. Um, And so I asked some other moms from the school and one of that I trusted who had similarly kind of spirited children. I knew that. Um, and she recommended, yes, she recommended this counselor here in town. Cause I could have driven to the bigger city, but it's like an hour and a half each way. And so obviously I wanted somebody here and she recommended someone and I called her and I just wanted, I just wanted to make sure like, do you actually specialize in working with children or she's like, yes, yes. Like come into my office and you'll see. And so, um, I brought in my son and the first appointment I stayed in there and I just sat on the couch totally quietly and filled out paperwork. But like he knew I was in there, but she was right. When I came into her office, I could see like it's set up for children. It's, there's like a little play table and all these toys and the whole session, they color and they do toys together and they talk and, um, he just really loves her. And that, that's been so great to see his relationship with her and just to know that there's other adults in my child's life that, that love him and see the best in him and trust him and that he trusts has been a huge blessing. And um, the way that I described it to him in, cause I didn't know how to explain counseling to him and I definitely didn't want him to think there was something wrong with him and that's why he was going in or, um, and so I said, I told him that he, I'd found him an emotions teacher. That's what I called her. I like that. And I said, um, you know, you go to school and your teachers teach you all about math and reading, but they don't really teach you what to do with your emotions. And I said, I've always had really big emotions. I like mine are different than his, but I've always been really sensitive, big emotions that way my whole life. And he knows that. And we've talked about that. And I said, and I didn't know what to do with those until I was well into my adulthood. And I wish I would have had an emotions teacher. And so that's why I found one for you. And he was kind of like, okay, like he was interested, he was open to it, but also kind of like, Hmm, I don't know. But then after he started going to her, he just loves her. Um, and at first he saw her more frequently when he was kind of in the throes of right after he'd lost his birth mom and, 
but now he sees her about once a month. Again, it's kind of like a maintenance mm-hmm. check-in and, sure. and he loves it. And what's funny is that my daughter who's five says like, when do I get to start going to an emotions teacher? <laughs> and I'm like, well, maybe in a few years you'll be at the emotions teacher too. So I love that. And I love uh, a couple of concepts too, where you, did you ever feel threatened that here's this other person that my, my son is uh, bonding with? Or- no. Um, but I also feel like be- it's because of the work I've done. Good. Um, because I've been to counseling because I've done a lot of work around adoption, like with, I don't feel possessive over my mm-hmm. children in the same way that others might, because I just have really learned that they're not mine. Like yeah. they're gods and yeah. whatever, whatever I need to do to help them get support. I'm okay with like i've just learned that love is not like finite and limited and it doesn't need to be possessed like there's enough to go around and so i but i can see how that would be weird and hard and i will say that sometimes it's it's interesting to me and a little hard that like she may know some things that i don't even know right no exactly yeah and he may open up and talk to her about things that i don't even know and sometimes that's like, e. but I also know that my son who is extremely emotionally intelligent and reads me like a book, <laughs> he isn't going to tell me things that he knows might hurt me. Mm. And like, so I want him to have a place that he can tell an adult that I trust and that he trusts and get that out. And, and one thing is, is that I do meet with her, um, without him. Right. So like every few appointments I go in and she's never broken his trust. I mean, if there was, if there was some big, huge issue that I needed to know about, she would tell me. Right. But as far as just the little things that he trusts her with or talks to her about, um, he, she would never break his trust, which I love. And, but she also kind of can give me some insight into how he's doing. And she gives me parenting advice based on, she knows him. Yeah, which is better than just like some guru on Instagram who can give you kind of like really good, but general parenting advice. She's like, no, for Noah, this is what I would suggest. And these are some scripts you can use. And this is what I'm seeing and what I recommend, which has been really helpful. So, and I love, I love the Instagram guru stuff as well. Like, that's <laughs> brilliant because the, our kids are individuals and, and I still do a fair amount of uh, counseling with teenagers and a couple of things that you said. So I was kind of leading you and you answered that question more uh, beautifully than I could have answered it. Oh, good. But I I feel like there are parents who will say, is this bad? But I, I worry, I I don't want my teen or my, my kid to feel like they can, they want to turn to someone else. And, and I, and I kind of acknowledge or I can normalize that fear, that worry, but ultimately we just want them to feel like they have somebody or that they can, they can open up to. And a lot of times that will cause, and I want, I want any parent listening to know that when your kid or teenager does feel like they have a safe place where they can kind of process things, a lot of times the result of that is that then they can come to you because they, they don't feel like what's wrong with me. They haven't just had those things rattle around in their head and trying to figure those things out on their own. And I feel like yes. that's one of the things that I just absolutely love is it can actually increase that relationship between um, child and parent. And I see that happen often. And I feel like she's teaching him how yes. to talk about his emotions and and so he has more skills to talk to me about them. Um, and it's just really brought us closer that he has. And it's not just her. It's just, it's very important to me that my kids have a lot of different adults in their life that I trust and they trust that can support them. 
Well, and, and I, I'm grateful you brought this up too, Rachel. I want to, when I see a teenager, so uh, confidentiality is technically still held between the, the therapist and the parent if they're a minor, but I'll always bring the parent in and say, hey, are you okay? You know, if, uh, if, if I have confidentiality with your son or daughter, and, but mm-hmm. just know that if there, if there is anything that's really big, then we're either going to bring this to you together or, he, you know, he or she is going to allow me to kind of present this to you, or maybe they'll even kind of come to you on their own. And I feel like that's a real powerful thing to establish up front so that a parent yes. knows that, okay, I, if, if something really is kind of scary going on there, you know, the therapist and, and my son or daughter are still, we're going to deal with it. I'm not going to be completely in the dark. And I feel like that's one of those where when I have run into some of those scary things, I, I can honestly say I've never run into a situation where when the teenager feels heard, maybe by me, that they don't feel that like they can bring it to their parent, whether it's with the ther- with me there or so. I, I mean, I just think that's important for a, a parent to, to hear that. that yes. uh, you know, in so many ways, this is good to have your kid or teenager see somebody if you really feel like that will help them. Yes. And she's given me so many tools for Noah. Um, he has a, he's a big spirited personality. And when I first brought him in, I asked her, I'm like, does he like, does he have something diagnosable? Like, do I need to? And she, after meeting with him, she said, you know, I've learned this little equation. Um, she said, Q plus S equals D. She said, quirk plus stress equals disorder or the appearance of a disorder. It's not really, but it, if you have a kid that has kind of some quirks and then they are under stress, it will start to appear that they have a disorder or a syndrome of some kind. Um, and so what the real test for that is take the, take those stress off. And if you still see the problem, then maybe there is something you need to go talk to a doctor about. But she's like, in his case, I really think that like simplifying his routine, mm-hmm. it was like, it was, it was dress in his like environment and routines and too much stimulation. And she's like, I think you're going to see a lot of these behaviors calm down. It's not, you're not crazy to think like maybe there's something, sure. but, I, but she's like, my opinion after seeing a lot of kids is this is just a kid with a big personality who's under stress right now. Sure. And let's, let's reduce the stress and then we'll see. So I always like think about that little equation really- um, when trying to decide kind of what to do for my kids. I love that because if a kid has a tiny bit of impulsivity and then they get stressed, then it's going to look like raging ADHD, right? But then on the weekend, you get them to move off the couch and you're like, where'd that ADHD go? You know, when uh, no stressors because there isn't the school or the friends pressure, pressure, that sort of thing. I like that. I like that uh, formula quite a bit. Um, Are there other things? You had a quote here that I really liked as well. Um, The uh, the one about it'll get easier. Um, This is really, tell me about that. Tell me about that. So one thing that she has taught me to tell Noah, um, so that's been so great is she gives me words to Mm. explain like what she sees kids like Noah in her office all the time. So she has words for it. And so she said, because with my Noah, he has like really big reactions to things. He gets super angry. He hits or whatever. Mm. And then he feels so bad about it. And, And it turns into like, he hates himself. It turns into... And then he'll, he'll say things that are awful, like mm-hmm. that he wants to hurt himself or sure. that. And that was what initially scared me so much that he was saying these things about himself. So she taught me to tell him, because 
because he's emotionally intelligent, he recognizes that he made a bad choice. He doesn't want to hurt people. He doesn't, but then he internalizes it and thinks yeah. it's, he's bad. So she taught me to tell him that at your little, she always says, you're little. And when you're little, your brain can't always control your body. Like your, your rational brain is telling you, I don't want to hit. I don't want to yell. That's not right. But your body is so angry and feels so many things that sometimes your body wins Mm -hmm. and you lash out and you do something that you don't want to do and you feel so sad about it. But she's like, as you get older, your, your brain is going to start winning and it's going to get easier to, for your brain, for your body to listen to your brain and you're going to, your brain's going to get stronger and we're going to work on skills so that you can control how your body's feeling and your brain can talk to your body. But she just tells me to emphasize and tell him it will get easier because she's like, for a kid like him, it can feel hopeless. Like I'm never going to improve. I'm never going to get better. This is, she's like, just always tell him when he makes a mistake, like you're going to do better next time. It's going to get easier. You're going to get better at this because we're going to work at it. I love it. That is. And that's a good advice for um, the uh, adults as well. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Rachel, I, I think we, have we gone 30 minutes or so? I think I, this might be the most compact podcast I've ever done in my entire life. What, a, <laughs> what an honor from the master herself, um, three and 30. Uh, so, boy, I should have had you come up with the takeaways. I know. I know. We could have done that, but we didn't this time around. I think we did that last. No, we didn't last time I was on your show either. We're going to have to do that sometime. I thought about it many times though. That is, uh, I really enjoy your model. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, All right. So any, any kind of last thoughts? I mean, about uh, just, I, I know that the stigma of therapy is getting lessened, but that doesn't mean that it's completely gone. I did, uh, I think I've spoken at three or four events here locally and they've all been on um, talking more about mental health. And so I love that. But even when you're there in front of a crowd, it's, it's pretty fascinating to just watch the faces of people that, you know, that some are just paying so much attention and others, I feel like they almost feel shame in the room, in the audience listening. Mm. So I don't know. Any other thoughts on how we get the stigma, destigmatize therapy counseling? Um, I think how to destigmatize it. I think people who have been through, mental health challenges and have been to counseling. And the, I think we really have a responsibility to talk openly about it mm-hmm. because that really helps to destigmatize it. I know that that was huge for me because I have an older sister that has really struggled with mental illness. And so I knew that I respected her. So when I thought like, does this make me weak? Does this make me, mm-hmm. I could combat that and think like, no, because look at how much you respect Sarah and how strong she is and she's gotten help and you're allowed to get help too. And so if we can be open with our experiences, then maybe someone else will look and say, well, Rachel doesn't seem completely nuts and she goes to therapy, you know? (laughs) And so then that gives them permission to do it as well. And I would really encourage anybody, if you're listening and you're thinking, I, I probably need this, like I probably need therapy or counseling to get to do it, to just give it a try and, don't let those barriers stop you. Like you talked about with it being inconvenient or expensive or like do whatever it takes to try to get that help. And another tip that I often tell women is write like a journal entry on a really hard low day. Yeah. Uh, Write out what you're thinking and what you're feeling because 
and, and call the counselor yeah. because then when you go into counseling a couple weeks later, you may be telling yourself, I don't know why I'm here. This isn't that bad. Yes. Yes. I feel, yeah. I feel dumb. Like what read the journal entry and remember how much you need this and believe that. And that's, that's true too for if you want to talk to your doctor about it. I think a yeah. lot of women, they get in there and they downplay it and they almost feel like to them, they downplay it to themselves too. Like they're like, maybe that didn't, I didn't actually feel that low. But if you have it written down, you can remember and you can even show the doctor and say, this is what it's like on my really low day. And then that, that helps people sometimes get taken more seriously. There is nothing more than when people do pull out their notes. I have to tell you, honestly, I love that. I really do. And I do want to just uh, echo, and here's why I feel like I, my podcast can go on so long. So I feel like we can even just talk about just more things and, and just more and more things about uh, to watch out for that will help uh, destigmatize or bring people into therapy. But I feel like um, what you just said about when people talk about going to therapy as a therapist, I, I will tell you, I hear often, I mean, weekly, um, people that when I say what brought you into counseling, which is again, one of those questions on the intake, it is I, I, someone that I know, someone that I love or care about goes to therapy and I know that it's worked for them. And I mean, I hear that all the time. So I promise you, if you are talking about it, then it, there are going to be people who will benefit from that. I mean, and that's, yeah. uh, I'm grateful that you shared that. I yeah. Am. Yeah. And if you're not sure if you are someone that feels like you might need therapy, but you're not sure who to ask for a recommendation, if you can think of anybody that has ever mentioned in passing yes. that they see a therapist or they take an antidepressant, or even if it's someone you barely know, that is a sign that that is a safe person that will talk to you. And so even if you hardly know them, send them a text, approach them and say, Hey, do you have a recommendation? Cause I could use some help. I promise you they will talk to you about it. Perfect. Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me on yeah, again. Have you on again time. Right. I uh, can't wait for number three. Yeah, right, we'll do three gonna, takeaways next time. Okay, perfect. I'm going to hit stop. Hang on just a second. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost Are floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter